Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right. I'm so glad that you are with me today and uh, excited about getting into the Word of God today so we can get it into our hearts and our minds and our lives and get it out of our lives through our actions, through our words, into the world around us and you know, today uh, we're talking the topic of how do we handle a church fight? You know, don't you love a good church fight? Well, no, nobody's ever said that. Nobody enjoys, you know, coming to church and having uh, conflict. And you know that the church business meetings, if, they're, if, if you are in a church that has business meetings and a bunch of people show up, it's always a bad sign because they're ready to fight. Well, as we've studied the book of Acts and walking through the book of Acts, we've seen how the power of the gospel is starting to just invade the darkness of the world, changing the world. And this has been so encouraging to us as we've seen the spread of the message of Jesus and the lives that have been changed. But, you know, honestly, not every part has been a happy celebration because there are some challenges. There are some roadblocks. Now, nothing that's going to stop the the message of the good news of Jesus. Nothing can stop that. But we've seen in the book of Acts so far, we've seen riots. We've seen threats. We've seen betrayals. We've even seen some who have lost their lives for their faith in Jesus. And in chapter 15, now we are seeing uh, the worst kind of betrayal because what is happening is this false Christianity is rising up. And this false teaching started here, but it continues today in our world today in different ways. So what they did was they said, we're going to have this council. They call it the Jerusalem Council. And it was intended to settle the disagreement that they were having. Now, think about fights. You know, we all sometimes have that opportunity to fight and we've got to choose wisely. Is this a battle worth fighting? Not every not every you know hill is a hill worth dying on, but there are some that you got to go to the wall for, and there's some that you can just let go of. You don't have to win every battle, but there are some battles that call for um, for um, a, a a resistance, and they call for, for us to take a stand. And fight. And this is one of those battles. And probably the most difficult part of Christianity is in its simplicity the scandal of the cross. The Bible calls it the, the scandal on the stumbling block. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 11. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, 
if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. So he calls it the offense of the cross. And we shouldn't unnecessarily go out of our way to offend people. But when you're preaching the good news of Jesus, there are some people that uh, this is going to be offensive to. Now, here's the, here's the challenge. There's nothing you can do to earn your own salvation. You, you can't um, earn salvation. Salvation cannot be earned. I'm saying it in different ways, but it's this basic truth that you cannot work your way to God. You cannot do enough good works to be um, acceptable to God. That's one of the ways most cults get it wrong. And that's where the church for centuries has gotten it wrong. And that's where today, many times, we get it wrong. We think the law is going to change our hearts. And if you think I'm wrong, I found a few of the strangest laws that are on the or that have been approved by the Texas legislature in years past. So here's a couple of them. You may want to write them down to make sure you're not a lawbreaker. Did you know that it's illegal in Texas to shoot a buffalo from a second story hotel window? No buffalo shooting from a second story hotel window. Unless you have a $5 permit, you're not technically allowed to walk around barefoot in Texas. There's a Texas law that bans the entire Encyclopedia Britannica because it has a formula for brewing beer at your house. And there's another Texas law that says if criminals intend to commit a crime, they're supposed to give their victims um, verbal or written notice 24 hours in advance. There's even a law on the books against milking someone else's cow. Okay? So... They're not trying to buy their salvation, but we've added a lot of uh, extra laws. And some people say, um, you know, a law like they say, well, in my church, those people are not welcome here. We don't want that kind of person here. They're not our kind of person. That's the kind of legalism that sometimes creeps into our mindset in church. And what the early church was doing, one of the things they were doing, was they added circumcision. Um, but we had things like how we dress. Um, you know, do you have to wear shoes? You have to, like in Texas, where that law, you got to get a permit to, to go barefoot. But listen, what about a style of hair? What about tattoos? You know, all of these things that we may add as requirements. But at the meeting, this council meeting, in uh, we're looking at Acts 15, verse 6. Here's these leaders, these early church leaders, standing against that kind of wrong teaching. So in, in verse 6, the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. And after 
the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirms that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And so Peter says, listen, God is the one opening this door for people to be saved, for the Gentiles to be saved. Anyone who would can be saved. And Peter is uh, taking that stand because he's seen it. It's not Peter that's bringing them into the church. It's God that's bringing them into the church. He's talking about when Cornelius was uh, converted to Christianity that we talked about several weeks ago. God was breaking down the dividing walls Everyone is saved through faith in Jesus. And this is Peter's last stand here in Acts. He he takes his last stand for the gospel to go into the whole world. And Paul and Barnabas, they talk about miracles and signs and the wonders that God is doing that confirm what he's up to. Verse 12, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then James steps up and uh, James is, you know, Jesus's half brother. And he uses scripture to confirm all this. He says the prophets of the Old Testament had predicted all of this. So in verse 13, It says, when they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. And he quotes the Old Testament prophet Amos in Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I've called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. So this is a direct quotation from the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, that was God's intention from the beginning, that his people, the Israelites, the Jewish people would be a light to the nations. They'd be a witness, but instead... Uh, For so long, they kept that light to themselves instead of sharing it with the world. And whenever God blesses you, you know, don't keep that to yourself. And don't don't go around feeling like, oh, I'm special because, you know, God has specially chosen me. Yes, he's chosen you. And that's amazing. You should feel blessed by that. But when he chooses you, he chooses you for a purpose, for the benefit of others, to bless others. And you got to ask yourself, where is your trust? Who are you trusting in for your right relationship with God? Is it in your own uh, good works and good deeds? Is it the fact that, hey, I've always gone to church or I always have been in church. I'm a, I'm a help. I'm a servant. I, I help other people. 
Um, and all of those things are good, but you'd better be trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And in verse 19, here, here's this good verse, this good word. Check it out. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Wow. How powerful is that? And what a good principle for us in the church today. We don't want to make it difficult for people to come to faith in Jesus. We don't want to put any, you know, it's it's the the challenge, the the obstacle, the offense of the cross is is the thing that people should have to wrestle with. And that is to admit that that I have sinned and that I've missed the mark, that I've fallen short of God's plan for my life and I need Jesus. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross so that I could be saved. And, uh, you know, that alone is the the obstacle that we need to put in people's path that they would determine, do I believe that? Am I going to receive that? Not, do I have to change the way I, um, you know, the way I do certain things? Yes, all of those things may follow. And we do some, we make some changes and God wants to change us from the inside out, not, not just externally, but to welcome people in meet them where they're at and and you know offer that invitation come as you are and let god through his holy spirit do the cleanup work we're to be fishers of men we we catch them and then god god by his spirit he washes us and he cleans us and he changes us and so you know we shouldn't make it difficult for people to turn to jesus um we need to make sure we're welcoming people. We need to make sure we're loving and we're becoming friends with people as they are responding, as they are turning to God. And we need to make sure that our groups, our small groups, our Bible study classes, our ministries are focused on uh, taking people right where they're at and leading them to where God wants them to be by clearly presenting God's word in a way that people can receive and hear and understand. Okay. So they did. Now, listen, that didn't mean that they threw out all the essentials and there were some things they said, here's what it's required if we're going to fellowship together. And so they had some of these things and they said in verse 20, instead we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols Okay, so this was food that had been offered up as a sacrifice uh, to a false god. And if your conscience, if you know that it's been offered up to a false god, then, you know, you may feel like, hey, this is going to, you know, stain me or or uh, mess with me in some way. Well, you don't eat that from sexual immorality. Okay, very clear. No sexual immorality from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So they said, there's some essentials that we're going to stick with. And they were these Jewish practices related to sharing meals together. Um, they, They also kept the doors open to reach unbelieving Jews. It wasn't just about, hey, we're going to reach all the Gentiles. We want to make sure we can reach the Jewish people too. And when you talk about, you know, sexual immorality, I mean, this is still an issue for us, a major 
issue for us in our culture today. You know, we use the terms like uh, sexual orientation, sexual preference, and, you know, we're not going to judge. We say things like, you know, sexually active. And, you know, what it used there, we used to have words for this. We used to say fornication. That sounds like a funny word to us or an old fashioned word. But what we're talking about is sex, sexual intercourse or sexual uh, practices between anyone other than one man and one woman in the context of marriage. That is that is how God has created and designed us to to function. That's what He said is is right and good, and it is a good thing. It's not uh, it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing in the context of marriage. The way I like to talk about that is, you know, like with a, a fire. Uh, if you have a fireplace in your home, that's a great place for a fire to build a fire because. Uh, it can warm your home. It can create a nice environment. You can, it's useful. You could, you know, cook some food over your fire. There's all kinds. It provides light, all of these things. But you take that same fire from the, the place, uh, that place of safety, and you bring it into the middle of your living room and you just light a fire in the middle of your living room. What's going to happen? You're going to burn your whole house down, right? So there is a right context where it's good and there's a context where it's destructive and where it's dangerous. And that's the same thing when it comes to God's design for sex. In one context, the context of a committed marriage relationship between one man, one woman for life, beautiful. It's life-giving, uh, literally life-giving. And it, and it creates a bond and an intimacy and all of these things. But you take it out of that, it's very destructive. Um, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in every way. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about those things, the things that God says are right and true and the things that he says are wrong. And um, and we have to talk about those. We have to teach about those in the church. If the Bible says this is wrong, we're going to stand by that and we're going to walk with people through that and help them be restored and help them be uh, healed as they turn from sin, as we turn from our sin and we turn to God. And so we need to make sure that we're living up, you know, at, at a high level. Um, and they still had some standards that that they that they were holding on to. And then they sent delegates out to report all this, and they were in agreement. With each other, they were of one heart and of one mind, and that's the way we should be in our in our meetings, in our teams, is to be able to discuss the issues and say, "Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Here's what God says," and then when we walk out, we walk out uh, unified. Okay, and that's not always easy to come to a unanimous type agreement, but it paid off with incredible joy. In their lives, and we see an example of godly leadership and the way it should work. Um, they were people who didn't allow their pride to get in the way. They didn't play politics. They they encouraged each other. They held each other up. And you know, some people do say, "Well, the church is too political in the way it operates." It should never be that way. It should be spirit led by the spirit of God, and we need to be seeking Him 
together. But we can learn some lessons here when it comes to false teaching that we see in this passage. Uh, first is that adding requirements to salvation is still a problem in the church today. People who want to add on other other steps, other things, other than simply faith and trust in Jesus. And also, uh, these teachers um, had credibility, even the false teachers, they had credibility because they came from the church. And so if you're a leader in the church, you need to make sure that you're not misrepresenting God. <coughs> you need to make sure that you're not misrepresenting the church as you instruct and you teach other people and you lead other people. Uh, it's important calling. We also need to make sure that we don't take away from the central issue of the cross of Jesus, the scandal of the cross, by adding to uh, what Jesus says you, you, have, you must do to be saved. And that is to simply put your faith and your trust in him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. As a church, we need to uh, do what they did and and address the issues, face the problems as they come up. Because, you know, we may want to ignore a problem for a little while, but if you don't deal with the problem, it becomes a bigger problem. Bring it from the dark into the light, deal with it. And sometimes it's just a question of, do I care enough to confront in love? Do I love this person enough to uh, help to correct them and to point them in the right direction? And, and even though there was disagreement along the way, they treated each other with great respect. Um, and we can do that. We've kind of lost that ability today to say, hey, I disagree with you, but I love you. I respect you. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to hear you out and then I'm going to continue to to correct. OK, they dealt with the issue without compromising the truth of the gospel. You can take the issue off of the person. Let's attack the issue instead of attacking the person. You condemn the false teaching without condemning the person. And, and you know, when people come into uh, church, they come into uh, a they're visiting a church. Okay, we're not trying to make them like us. We're trying to help them to seek God and to follow Him. And, and when we accept them, God can speak to them, and God can begin to bring change into their life. And yes, there was a price to be paid. It wasn't easy. I mean, they met, they wrestled with this, and they some may have even walked away but they were willing to pay the price. And so our prayer today is, God, give us a spirit of uh, unity. Give us a spirit of great purpose, that our purpose is greater than just placating people. We want to make sure that we're leading people to, to follow God and to, to hold on to those essentials and those unchanging truths that we find in the Word of God. And so we're asking God to, to guide us in that, to draw us together in unity. You know, Jesus' prayer, we talked about this when we were studying the Gospel of John, is he said, um, make them one, make them one. And we need that in the church today. But we unite around something. We unite around Jesus. We unite around his uh, word, which is true. And we are seeking to come together under that umbrella so that 
We can live as one and we can make a great difference in our world, welcoming everyone who will come, everyone who will come. And, you know, people will come because they need Jesus. And we're seeing a greater understanding of that today than ever before. So I I hope that you'll do that, that you'll say, you know what, I want to remove any barriers in my life that are keeping someone from coming to Jesus and any barriers in my church that are keeping people from from coming to Jesus. And we we act on that today. All right. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to uh, continuing this with you in the coming weeks. Have a blessed week and we'll see you very soon. Thanks a lot.